the director of Batman and Beetlejuice. Those are your hands? Would like you to meet... I think you should just come home with me. ...his latest creation. Whoa! Look at my handshake you got there, Ed. <laughs> Can I bring the show and tell on Monday? Edward Scissorhands, The Incredible Tale of a Most Unusual Character. Rated PG-13. Select engagements start December 7th. Opens December 14th everywhere. Well, uh, well, David, did you... Uh... Did you get into the Reconsina attic and get our uh, all the Christmas decorations down? Did you start uh, prepping that for decorating the, the empty studio lot? Oh yeah, no, I, I bring in all the uh, the giant Tupperware containers down and just blowing the dust off them. Oh, it gets really dusty up there, and uh, yeah, I start. I'm starting to untangle all the lights. Oh boy, there's a lot of them. Yeah, even though even. Though COVID has has shut down the studio a lot, and just just the three of us here uh, for the moment, we David, you got to get those decorations up. We, we have a limited amount of time. I know, I know. I got I, I fell behind this year because uh, I mean, I went crazy with the, the the all the turkeys that I let loose in the studio for Thanksgiving, um, and it's just been rounding them up and and selling them to butcher shops. It's it doesn't it they're not buying after December first. <laughs> That's they don't want them. turkeys yeah so i'm just i'm dealing with the turkey the turkey problem yeah good Smart classic man. me <laughs> classic munchak yeah every year it's the same story mm-hmm. well uh welcome back to reconsinimation i'm john diner i'm david munchak and i'm brent hutchins and this is the podcast where we take a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s 80s and 90s and it is getting closer and closer to christmas and uh, we're going to start covering, you know, usually every December we look at kind of least Christmassy to, to much more Christmassy as we get closer to the big day. So uh, this week we are going to cover one that is another one of those uh, movies that a chunk of it takes place at Christmas, but you wouldn't necessarily say it is a Christmas movie. We've right. had that debate before, right? Yeah, I think we've we've gone through things like that. Yeah, but yeah, this is one of those. Like Christmas happens to be a part of it. Yeah, I but think it's that... a it's a holiday movie, right? Like, I mean, it's it's you know, it came out in December. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, you know, I think splits the splits the Thanksgiving and and Christmas holiday yeah timing pretty well. Yeah, this isn't a movie you fire up on uh, June thirtieth. You know, you, you fire it up in the fall, <laughs> right? <laughs> least you know in the winter time because there's like two scenes with snow in it so that's right. i mean there's a heavy heavy snow theme throughout oh, yeah. the entire movie Snow's a big thing here i mean alan arkin <laughs> is up on that roof putting up his fake california snow yeah that's true yeah, you you gotta give him the respect this has got to be considered a holiday flick yeah. i guess so and of course, we are we are talking about uh, 1990s Edward Scissorhands this week, and uh, there's, a, there's a, a lot to talk about with this one. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, there's always great things to say about all our films, but let's really get into Edward Scissorhands. This is a uh, is this is this our first fairy tale movie? Because I would classify this as also 
quite a, it's a fairy tale, right? Yeah. It's a fantasy. It's a, yeah. Fantasy movie, right? Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a sort of a modern spin on a fairy tale, like a fairy tale spin on the Frankenstein story, really. It's kind of a merger of those. Mm, That's yeah. right. But, you know, before we get into the the details, I, I just I want to just kind of talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, Johnny Depp. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot, uh, a, a lot going on with Johnny Depp and his uh, personal life and what's been going on with him. And, and I'm shaking my head in disapproval. Uh, uh, yeah. At Johnny or, or at me right now. At Johnny. Really. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, just because we are, are looking back at this movie, which is a, a huge part of his career, doesn't mean that we condone anything that, you know, he, he did or may have done and, and doesn't reflect maybe our personal opinions on, on him. Uh, but we, we, uh, this movie came up a while ago. It's been on the list for a while and, and on the schedule and, and we did want to cover it. Um, but we did want to just acknowledge that just because we're, we're looking back at this movie doesn't mean we're condoning anything that, uh, he may, may have done there. So Absolutely. just one, yeah, just want to say that before we get into it. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're all on that boat, uh, all three of us. So just, yep. I'm not going to stay silent while you're like, yeah, I don't want anyone to, to infer that maybe, Oh, Dave hasn't said anything. So he's probably pro Johnny. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. In terms of whatever the hell's going on and you know, it's whatever the, you know, the unfortunate thing of, of, uh, uh, in relationships that lead to violence and things of that nature. I just have, I have no tolerance for that. And, uh, we don't um, we don't necessarily know the details of, of, of truth and and what's what's hyperbole and all of that, but certainly any if if any speck of what we've seen in the the papers and the tabloids, um, if it rings true, um, there's uh, not uh, any any bit of support we can give uh, for Mr. Depp as a as a person. But uh, we'll but we'll be talking about his performance uh, throughout this episode and not him as a as the kind of guy he is or whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. So, great. Thanks for clarifying, bro. And it's, you know, with, with obviously with the cancel culture uh, that, that is happening, it, it's, it's tough for, for a show like ours where we are looking back at, you know, all these, these older films and a part of maybe some of these people's careers. And, um, you know, I think some some things we're not going to cover on this show because we don't want to draw any attention to that person or those people. But some things we are going to cover, and and uh, and we've I mean we've already touched on Johnny Depp with the Nightmare on Elm Street a couple of months ago, back in October. So, um, you know, and, and he's also such a big part of Tim Burton's career, and we're absolutely going to probably look at every Tim Burton movie uh, within our our time frame here. So. Um, yeah, we, I mean, we can't just ignore that. So absolutely. I mean, Johnny Depp and Tim Burton, they did what eight movies together. So this won't be the last time that he pops up in conversation. But again, you know, like we've been saying, we don't condone any of the behavior that may or may not have happened. We just, you know, we don't, no one knows what's going on. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of talk right now. And, you know, we don't condone that behavior. So that being said, let's let's hit the time machine. Munchak, 
dial it back boop, in boop, for boop, 19, boop, ni- December 1990 boop, and uh, Tim Burton's Edward Scissorhands. What's uh, what is what's your early memories, Brent? We'll start with you. What's what's uh, what was the first time you saw Edward Scissorhands? Mm, that is a good question. I I don't recall seeing it in the theater. I'm sure I did, but I don't actually remember it. I remember the poster uh, pretty vividly, and I would have definitely gone to see it at the movie theater having it been the movie that Burton did right after Batman. Uh, I mean, this was kind of, you know, this was... Burton had been on quite a roll of movies that I really had enjoyed uh, up to this point, even before Batman. But, but I, I can't see um, a reason that I wouldn't have seen this in the theater, but I don't recall it specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, what about you, David? I'm very confident I saw this in the theater. I think my sister would have taken myself and my brother, maybe my other brother as well. Uh, to see it, I feel I have a very I, a Munchak family field trip. Yeah, I think my siblings and I. Um, <clears throat> I feel there there are certain movies that I I have a can like I can remember my sister taking me to my older sister, and uh, just sort of like having that memory always implanted like whenever I watch that movie again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I definitely saw this in the theater, and I think it was very like weird to me um just this you know because of the style of it and everything and watching it uh now um and i've probably only seen it straight through maybe once or twice since you know like i i've seen parts of it but it 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 would always remain this sort of thing that i had experienced and you know edward scissorhands became part of the pop culture lexicon um from then on and it was just so edward scissorhands always sort of exists since then uh and um it's 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 fascinating to take a look take a real fresh look at it and then trying to like kind of recall how it felt to see it for the first time because i i think i at 10 years old i was probably very like a little confused by by the by the stylistic choices not understanding like any of the references and uh, you know where where things came from so yeah but but I, I remember really liking it. Did you go, uh, were you in a, a station wagon when you guys all went to the? <laughs> no. That's what I'm picturing. The Looking out the, the rear window and that little <laughs> backwards facing seat. I wasn't, I wasn't lucky enough to have one of those cars. I was always jealous of my friends and my cousins who had a, a station wagon. <laughs> but I never, I never, I don't think I've ever ridden in one, to be honest. Never. Oh, my I God. I would have paid money to ride in a backwards facing seat well, every time. I, I know what we're getting you for Christmas this year. <laughs> yeah. Only <laughs> we, if I can be a passenger. I don't want to drive it. <laughs> we never had one growing up, but we did do a road trip in one where we flew up to, I think. I want to say Boston and we rented one and drove up North into Canada and then back down to Texas where I grew up. And it was, it was a fun road trip, man. I I I remember that. I remember that, uh, that vacation with my family pretty fondly, but we stop in all different places and like get to like really see the countryside and, and check things out. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. That sounds like a drug running trip that your parents <laughs> Could have never been. told you about. <laughs> I mean, like, we got to go up to the Canadian border. We're going to smuggle drugs into America. Yeah. 
and just drop <laughs> them off at various locations. It's probably, <laughs> probably likely. Yeah. They were there Sorry, giant, Dad. like, Sorry, Dad. I'm just joking. <laughs> there <laughs> weren't the giant place. like packages you guys picked up in Canada and like, dropped off. Uh, no, but when we crossed the border into Canada, my brother and I, we hid underneath the luggage in the back and my parents were trying to tell the, the, the border patrol person. They were like, oh, yeah, it's us and our kids. And they were like looking in the back and didn't see us. And then we popped out. And uh, it was not funny for the border patrol person. <laughs> Certainly not funny to my parents who let us know how unfunny it was uh, for the next probably 45 minutes to an hour oh. uh, as we were driving through Canada about <laughs> the legal ramifications of smuggling humans or anything across the border oh my god uh so you know we learned a valuable lesson (laughs) that's hilarious oh my god (laughs) i uh i did not see edward scissorhands in the theater either and i don't know why because i was a you know like so many of us at that time a huge huge batman fan and that was such a batman was such a massive movie um I'm looking forward to covering that at some point as well, because that had such a huge impact. I remember like with the marketing and everything, it just felt like that movie was everywhere. And it was, I think probably the first time at the age we were at that we were conscious of that kind of thing. Cause we had the star Wars, we were all a little too young for that. So, and nothing else really did that in between star Wars and Batman. But uh, so I don't know why, you know, I would have missed Edward Scissorhands, but I did. Um, and I remember seeing it on video in my grandmother's apartment and I just did not, I did not love it. I just, it was very strange to me. Um, maybe I was, you know, I, I mean, I think I was like 11 when I saw it. So, um, and not that some of these concepts were like too far for me to understand at that age. It just didn't really register with me. I wasn't into the gothic and the steampunk kind of look. So, you know, I wasn't a fan of the cure. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. Like it just yeah. didn't, <laughs> it didn't resonate with me at all. Um, and I was, I didn't bar- listen to the cure much, but I liked Depeche Mode quite a bit. There you go. Yeah. I didn't like Depeche Mode till later though. So, um, but I don't know. I, I remember being bored by the movie and just like, I felt like it was so slow and it's not that long of a movie, but I, I just wasn't, uh, I don't it's know. It's interesting. I, yeah. I had a completely different um, experience. I, I, for whatever reason, and you know, I mean, this is obviously a very close and personal story to, to Tim Burton, but I feel like the character of Edward is one that everybody can relate to in, in one way or another, like at, at, I think everybody at some point in their life probably feels like an outsider or awkward or that they don't fit in. And that certainly kind of, you know, resonated with me in that time. I think the age that I saw this, you know, was probably an awkward age, you know, like you're kind of hitting puberty, you're, you're, you know, you're going from middle school or junior high to high school age. And it's just like a very transitional time. So for whatever reason, when I saw this, it, it definitely, I connected with it immediately. And I was, I, I found it very beautiful and very charming and, and very interesting. Yeah. I think pretty much everybody I know really loves this movie and really connected with it. I'm, 
for sure in the minority of of people who didn't connect with it at the time. And then we'll we'll get into kind of where I stand with it now. Having, I mean, this was the first time I had watched it in at least twenty years. So yeah. I, I had not seen this one in forever, and was just, you know, I. I picked up most of the Tim Burton movies in my collection. And this one, I just, uh, you know, never, never grabbed. And, and uh, so it was interesting watching it again now, but. Uh, yeah, it is. Cause I, 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 in my opinion, it's for me, one of my favorites of his that he's done before. I, I, and feel I, like... I, I think it ranks up there pretty high for most people that, yeah. You know, it's, and we'll talk about Burton's career uh, uh, shortly here, but yeah. let, let's talk about kind of where, where it came from since you mentioned it, Brent. Um, you know, this, I, I would say this probably, especially at the time, and maybe still now that this is Burton's most personal piece. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, and he's even said so, you know, in, in interviews and, and things like that. I mean, it, it very much is, I mean, it's, not exactly a biography, but he pulls so much from his childhood growing up in, in Burbank and his awkward years in high school and, and, you know, just kind of that suburban awkwardness. Not that it's a bad, like suburbia is not bad, but it's just kind of weird and strange and like, doesn't really, it doesn't feel like, up and up sometimes yeah like you just like there's there's always kind of an undertone to things yeah like there's always something beneath the surface i think that's a right. that's a theme with with burton and it's a theme obviously with david lynch and other directors that uh, you know suburbia is is you know what you see and we we mentioned it a few weeks ago on our bob roberts episode too this kind of concept of like take a look at what's here above the, above the surface and then don't look at what's really going on down below. So right. um, I think they both, both those directors really embrace that, that theme and it's really prevalent here, but it's in, I mean, it's kind of all throughout Burton's work. Right. And I think, you know, most directors, most great directors, I, I, I always argue that they only have a certain amount of great films in, in their, you know, in them. Um, and then at a certain point, they kind of tap out of that, like what's really personal to them. It's really hard for these, these guys, the, the, the Burtons and the Scorseses and the Spielbergs who have been doing movies for 30 and 40 years or more. And to keep really having that strong personal connection with every single story that they're telling. So, you know, I think with, with all of those guys, you've seen a, a shift in their, a tonal shift and a creative shift in their careers. And I feel like you can, like, Planet of the Apes is sort of like the turning point for Burton, that mm -hmm. everything prior to that, it's really coming from deep inside him. And there's something he he connects with, with all of these characters and, or the main characters and with these stories. And then after that, you get a lot less of that. Like, sure, there's some great visuals and there's um, interesting characters, but they don't have the same depth um, with a few exceptions. I think Big Fish is a really personal story. That's the other one I thought of. of yeah. You know, how, how personal is that one? Is that like, I don't know what his relationship with his father is like, but it felt like maybe there's some, some of that there in, in that film, but 
I think you know, you're right, though. I, Big Fish to me is one that's kind of on an on an island. Honestly, you said Planet of the Apes. I would. I I'm not a huge fan of Mars Attacks, and and honestly, I think that I have a lot of problems with Sleepy Hollow. And I know that that's probably not a popular opinion, but mm. I feel like he is kind of a prisoner of his own um, uh, aesthetic in that movie, and mm-hmm. like it 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 itself has taken on a character that draws away from the story. And so, so for me, like, honestly, Ed Wood is, I mean, I don't know if we're diving full into into his career right now, but Ed Wood to me is maybe his best film as a, just from a narrative storytelling standpoint, my opinion, Ed Wood is probably the best. Everything leading up to that though is I feel really enjoyable, really well done going back to, to Pee Wee's big adventure, even like, I Mm -hmm. think that that for his first big studio movie is like one hell of an entry into that world. And, um, you know, then following that up with Beetlejuice, which is again, fantastic. Um, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman returns, you know, and a lot of these, I feel like what makes them work for me is that they're not, when I get drawn out of his movies, it's when it's, it goes back again to like when he's kind of become a prisoner of his own style. I think you need, I think you need his look and his aesthetic and everything like that to be an element of it, but, but set in kind of a more contemporary or grounded world. Mm -hmm. And it works really well against each other. Yeah. Like when you have the whole world built from the mind of Tim Burton, you know, it or, or feeling like it's coming from the mind of Tim Burton. For me, like it really detracts from my ability to be able to watch the movie and not get drawn out of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's oh. why I think I have issues with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I mean, that's another one that just really fell flat for me. And I mean, there's there's others, but well, his his he's such a visual director, and right. all of his his films have it's visual this combination of extreme visuals and story right so some of them have a perfect balance of it and a lot of his early stuff you'll see that and then some of his more recent things you're getting way way more on the visual end and way less on the story end yeah there's just less heart it feels like exactly and that's what i mean when i say like you know i i think a lot of these these directors have only a certain amount of stories in them because that like, then they're, they're just, they've used it. They've used their, all the juice, you know? Uh, And then of course they'll keep directing forever. I mean, Spielberg's the same way. Like how many of the movies that he's done the last 20 years are of the caliber of what he did in the 25 years prior to that, which is, it's an incredible run. Um, And some are still entertaining, but like, yeah, uh, are you going to, you know, are you going to put War Horse and, um, you know, Lincoln and, you know, all, all, all some of those recent things up there with your Indiana Jones and your Jaws and your, you know, Close Encounters and uh, Jurassic Park and all of those. Like, no, you, you, they're, they're different, different worlds. But um, Burton is one that I think, yeah, I agree. Ed Wood is like, it, it, they almost go in peaks and Pee Wee and, and Beetlejuice are a peak and Batman obviously goes a little higher. And then um, this, 
just for me, like I still have a hard time connecting with Ed- Edward Scissorhands. Like I see the story, I see where he's coming from, I see the themes and the message there. It just like still doesn't do anything for me. But then you got Ed Wood, which I think is a masterpiece. Yeah. And then it, yeah, Mars Attacks, I think is a misunderstood film. Like I, I just, I find it hilarious now. And I did not like it at all the first couple of times I saw it. I'll give it um, a rewatch. I, I, I watched it one time and I was like, this is just not for me. But yeah. I'll give it another shot. Sleepy Hollow, um, I find entertaining, but like it's again, it's leaning way too hard on the visual side and the production design and the um, the styles, stylistic side versus the actual like heart of the story. And I think it's a little overcomplicated from what your basic Ichabod Crane story was. Right. Um, and then, yeah, tr- same, same. I feel the same way about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but Big Fish is another, I think that's another like close to a masterpiece. I think that movie is, uh, is amazing. And yeah, then like everything movie. since then, it just not that interested. The Alice in Wonderland movies, it's way too much visual, yeah. like just, you know, too much for my eyes to handle. And Big Eyes was, was way less on visual <laughs> But I still wasn't, it was like, okay, now I need more. So now we're going the total opposite direction. So yeah, it's very hit and miss now with Burton, but a a lot of his early stuff, I just, uh, I'll, I'll always love it. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't really been interested in anything he's done since Big Fish. Like I, I, that was the last Tim Burton movie I've seen in the theater. uh, And that was what, 15 years ago or something. Um, Not to say, not to say uh, any, anything of the quality after that. I mean, I I just hadn't been interested in any of the, the material he was working with and like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I think there, there's something to, I remember really liking sleepy hollow, but I saw that in the theater and haven't seen it since. And I, I think I just kind of enjoyed, I felt like it was like more like, uh, you know, yeah, I know his aesthetic is it's it's his entire brain is now on the on film, and right. like you said, there's like if you have like a juxtaposition, it kind of works a little bit better. But I think it was, but I felt like Sleepy Hollow was was a little more playful than uh, than I expected. Uh, I mean, he's there's always a playfulness to to everything he's doing. Like there there really is like you know if, there's a a range of emotion and like complex uh, complexity to what he, like what he's trying to accomplish but i I mean you know there's always like a a sadness to everything and uh Mm -hmm. and and uh, the attempts at whimsy um and i think there's like enough whimsy in sleepy hall that kept me going and i yeah i thought big fish was like just a a great like that was the last great movie i really liked of his uh and then yeah just nothing he's done since Uh, i've enjoyed but everything before then was yeah i mean this is this one is probably, yeah, like not Edward Scissorhands I enjoy. And, I, you know, if we were going to rank all his like, you know, early movies and all that. Yeah. I don't know if, if this would be in the top, top, top. Well, let's uh, let's save that for the that. end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like there's sure. something there's still something very <clears throat> intriguing about what he's what he was doing uh, back in the 80s and early 90s. Yeah. And Ed, Edward Scissorhands uh, is a you know, we were talking about before we started recording, how it's, it's a fairy tale spin on sort of the Frankenstein story, um, which is interesting. And, you know, it came from, yeah, his upbringing in Burbank and living in suburbia, like Brent was saying, and uh, he started drawing these characters and he just drew Edward Scissorhands. So 
the whole idea, you know, the whole script originated from his drawings about this character who was an outcast and misunderstood and, and about his Burton's own feelings of isolation and loneliness and how, you know, disconnected he felt from the rest of his, you know, his peers and his age group and, and how he could never fit in. Um, in the, on those mean streets of Burbank, California. Yeah, mean streets. <laughs> it's doggy dog out there. That's Bad Street, USA. Yeah, it's right outside <laughs> my front door. <laughs> do you think? Uh, do you think Edward Scissorhands and Freddy Krueger could be are like distant cousins? Maybe kind of related. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if that's why Johnny Depp jumped at the chance to. I know. <laughs> to play the character he was like he saw robert england with those gloves and he's just like i gotta have <laughs> knives for hands and we can make eight of these and it's gonna be great yeah it's like the good freddy yeah <laughs> um so yeah so obviously burton starts making his way uh through his career uh peewee's big adventure comes out and i can't remember how big of a financial hit that was but obviously that was a very popular movie i, I remember like everybody my age loved it uh so it had to have done well but um and peewee was so huge at that time and then uh, you know turning that turning around from that and making beetlejuice which is such a to this day such a fun movie um I, I think beetlejuice works on so many levels that's another one that i need to go back and rewatch. i haven't seen it in so long but it was i mean i used to watch it all the time when i was when i was younger it's just been such a long time since i have but yeah but yeah it's a great one yeah and then batman after that which just had such a huge impact and and changing the batman character you know permanently after that i mean the batman we look at now still has its ties in to burton's batman more than anything else um or maybe frank miller too but uh right you know so so you know batman made him an a-list director and you know he's at the time he's suddenly like right at the top um so he's able to kind of pick and choose what his next project or projects are going to be and at the time, Warner Brothers, where he was under a deal, had already had turned down uh, Edward Scissorhands right before Batman is released, which was obviously a huge mistake on their part. So he ended up pitching this to Fox. Fox moves uh, makes a deal for it. So, you know, a lot of Burton's films are through Warner Brothers, but this is one of those rare ones that is, is not. Um, yeah. I don't know if he's still <clears throat> got a deal with them, but I think maybe he does. So he hires Caroline Thompson to write the screenplay. She kind of fleshes out the story based on his drawings and his concepts and ideas. And, and she starts kind of filling in the gaps. And, and uh, um, she had written a, a novel called First Born that was an aborted baby who had come back to life. And that's what drew Burton to her. And that maybe they have some themes in common there. So after anybody uh, read, anybody read that story? That sounds intense. No, I haven't read it. Oh. But I mean, if, if you've seen Frankenweenie, you know, the original short of Frankenweenie, it's like, there's a lot of similarities there. So, okay. um, and she was, you know, very fascinated with Tim Burton as a, as a human and as a, as a filmmaker. And, you know, 
basically was able to craft sort of a, a love letter to him uh, in her version of the screenplay. So it's really, you know, Burton is in a lot of ways, Edward Scissorhands. Right. Um, now the visuals are such a strong part of this movie that I, I think work well. Um, I don't necessarily think that this movie is in that category of being overly visual. I think it's still the, the balance is still right here for story versus visuals. And yeah. you can see there's so much, uh, you know, such a uh, German expressionism influence here, like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, you can see like that kind of peppered all through, you know, his, especially his early films. Well, yeah. Well, and especially, I mean, you're, when you're talking about that look, especially in the, in the kind of gothic cryptic mansion portion of it <clears throat> with the mm -hmm. robots and, and the conveyors and, and things yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, but even that, you, you know, there's interesting aesthetic things that they do even outside of that with the, with the, the suburban neighborhood. And, yep. you know, they use like, I think it was only like four, colors that they yeah. used to to paint all the different houses yeah. to to kind of do that yeah bo welch is his production designer who <clears throat> has done most of his films and yeah they just have those four colors for all the houses and otherwise completely bland neighborhood that was uh near near the tampa area so you know while it's supposed to be burbank it doesn't really look anything like burbank um no yeah so <laughs> there's a, a sameness to to that suburban life you know like and it's and it and it's grotesque in its own way you know like the, they're all painted this all the houses are painted you know each solid color but it's everything is painted that color like there's the it's the the posts and the yeah like everything every, the doors are the same i mean it's like it's there's no there's no style to it. You know, there's no, the tri it's not like the trim is painted differently or the, 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 the doorways or anything like that, or it's all like gross and grotesque in its own way. And this aggressive sameness and that yeah, there's I'm no sure, depth to it at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's characterless. So like, right. if you're, a, you're a child like Tim Burton, you know, like that's just him expressing just the, the blandness of, of suburban life is, is, you know, apart from without the the characters inside those houses, it it is an, an oppressive kind of feeling of mm -hmm. of uh, you know that 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 with that color palette. So it's so fascinating, and I do love I do love that design of the castle of like the mansion or whatever that it it's almost like it's got that sort of yeah the you couldn't imagine that mansion looking new at any point, you know, it's, it had to be designed kind of grotesquely, but, uh, but so, but so gorgeous, like just the stairwells and the, you know, the, the, the burnt, the blown out windows and the crumbling brick. And it's, yeah. it's like, it's like it was designed that way. I know it's like the production design, but it's like, you can't imagine it ever being a newness. Uh, right. No, it was like well, it was I, born. It was born that way. <laughs> but yeah. I love, I love the contrast of how the the building itself is very dilapidated and falling apart, but the topiaries and the garden are yeah. immaculate and beautiful and like so well manicured and amazing. Yeah. Uh, that that it really for me it's it 
you know, I mean, it's that theme goes throughout the entire movie, but I find it very, uh, uh, I like that juxtaposition. Oh, for sure. Well, like, and it's, you know, it's just like, there's, it's, it's funny because it's, you know, the, the whole thing is like, you know, the, the mansion and Edward are kind of horrifying, but there is a sweetness and a kindness underneath it all. And then the suburbs have this, like this sheen and glow, but then there's this insidiousness underneath it all. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're just incompatible. Um, you know, they can cross over and meet, but then, you know, they, they're not compatible with each other. And, uh, you know, that, so feeling so different, feeling like you don't belong somewhere, you know, it, it worked, it worked both ways, I think. Yeah. Um, for, for the characters. Yeah. I love that whole fish out of, you know, there's so many great fish out of water moments with him going into suburbia and trying to integrate in with, with the suburban life. Uh, you know, I mean, some of them are just hilarious. I, I, I love him interacting with the waterbed. Yeah. I think yeah. <laughs> that, that cracks me up. I, 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 again, rewatching this was finding myself kind of in stitches, just watching that scene. You yeah. miss the, you miss the waterbeds, don't you? Mm. You know, we've talked about Travis before. Uh, Travis is the guy who lived next door to me that I would always go over to his place. His parents had HBO. That's where I saw all the Friday the 13th movies and, and everything because he had access. He had a waterbed. So when I'd spend the night, we'd, like, we'd be chilling on the waterbed yeah. watching these movies on, on HBO. And yeah, absolutely. I missed the waterbeds in the, in the 80s. What a horrible, horrible inventions, man. Terrible. They're the worst Terrible. thing ever. Yeah. But yeah, to it, see it oh, again is it cracked me up. Only in the eighties. Only in the eighties. So many bad decisions in the eighties. When I, I rewatched this with my kids, and one of the things that stood out to them was the waterbed, and they were like, "What is that? Like, that's a waterbed. <laughs> why it's, is it you have a bed made of water? Like, why would you have that? And how would that even work? Like, <laughs> well, here's how it worked. Like, really, it was like you would just find yourself rolling off of it." Like you would wake up on the side of the waterbed because you just roll off. So. Oh my gosh, <laughs> they were horrible. Either that, uh, or you'd be stuck in the middle. Yeah, one or the other. You you'd could never have in. that balance right, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, let's bring those back. I think we should install those in all the offices here at Recon Cinema Studios when we when we open back up after the pandemic, after yeah. the holidays. And everyone comes Water back. beds for everyone. Water beds in every office. That's Water it. beds in every office. That's definitely a good use of our, our funds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I want, we're, I want to do that. We're okay financially. So yeah, no, we're, 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 we've been making money over the pandemic. So yeah. Yeah. We own a lot of other businesses. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very good. We got that. We got that FU waterbed money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seven different water beds, one low price. It's a water bed special purchase from Big Sur Water Beds. Let's talk about the cast too. So, okay, obviously, you know, let's talk about Johnny Depp. But he wasn't—he was not the first person to sign on for the movie. It was uh, Winona Ryder was the first person attached, but Diane Weist was the actually the first cast member to sign on. Yeah, and it was her signing on that got the ball rolling for other actors to take this script serious. That's right. It gave it a whole bunch of credibility because she was, I mean, at the time, like she's a very well-established yeah. actress at the time. Oh my God. So well-respected even to this day. I mean, she's had such a great career and yeah. 
uh, always she's she's like like you know we talked about Gene Hackman back in Hackathon yes. 2020 uh, earlier this year. <laughs> Legit acting chops. <laughs> yeah, and always good. Like you, yeah. you're never gonna get a, a per- performance phoned in, even if the movie isn't great. Um, she's always always fantastic. I mean, yeah. She what what's she coming off of? Footloose, Hannah and her sisters, uh, the Lost Boys, Bright Lights, Big City, Parenthood. I mean, all of those. That's just like great role after great role. Um, and her character of Peg too is interesting because she's like the one person who, you know, sees something in Edward and isn't scared by by his appearance. You know, even right. when, even maybe for a second when she goes in there and he first kind of comes out of the shadows, but immediately she's just like, oh, you're coming home with me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess anybody be scared with someone rolling up to them with razor blade hands, but yeah, yeah she's such a, she's such a sweet lady. I think she just sees a, a, a empty canvas for her to, to get her Avon lady. Sure. Yeah, yeah, but I was like, oh, you're all messed up. Come on home with me. We're going to paint you up and get you pretty. But I think there's there's a, a there's a, an emotional attachment that underneath that, you know. Sure, that's, sure. I'm kidding. But yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um yeah, but she's, you know, a, a really interesting character and and someone of that very deeply, you know, involved in the, in that suburban world but who can who kind of steps out of it here and it'd be interesting to see like what happened what was her reaction after this movie concluded you know what was her follow-up story like how could she reintegrate fully back with these people after seeing this ugly side of them oh yeah and what what happens but um yeah diane great performance um Winona Ryder, uh, another one who was coming off of uh, Beetlejuice with with uh, Tim Burton, so they already yep. had a, an established relationship there. And have they have they worked together since Edward Scissorhands? I can't. I remember. don't know. Off the top of my head, I don't think they have. I don't think they have either, unless she has some bit part in Mars Attacks, because I feel like everybody no, was in that. No, she's not in that. I was just thinking maybe it was The Corpse Bride, but I think it was, by that point, it was Helena Bonham Carter kind of yeah. you know, taking most of the roles. But uh, but Winona Ryder is uh, coming off of Lucas and Heathers and Great Balls of Fire and Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael. So there's you know another, uh, she was definitely an up-and-comer at that point. Oh. I mean, at this point, I feel like she was a bigger name than Johnny Depp when he joined onto the, right? I mean, like he had his yeah, 21, so. 21 Jump Street kind of fame, but he was like a TV actor. He wasn't, right. you know, yeah, he had done Nightmare on Elm Street. He had done Cry Baby, but he was not, he was in no way like a movie star at any, you know, at, at this point at all. Like, this right. is well, kind I mean, of the movie that, that yeah. opened that opened that door to him, you know? Yeah, and and... You know, Winona Ryder at this point, you know, she she was cast in Godfather Three, which comes out the same year um, mm-hmm. and right around the same time as Edward Scissorhands. So um, she that's a whole separate story of why she didn't sure. end up in that movie and and, uh, you know, ended up doing Dracula instead as sort of a make make uh, make good with Coppola. But um, 
Yeah, but, but she but, was definitely a big name at this point. She was right because Heather's. I, I mean, I don't. Maybe maybe it was just me and my group of friends that really loved that movie. But I feel like that movie was a pretty widely watched and and successful movie. Um, and then uh, what was the other one that you said that she had done right before this was Beetlejuice. Obviously, yeah. that was. Yeah, I think those were the biggest ones for her. Great Balls yeah. of Fire, I think, was a big movie when it came out with Dennis it was Quaid. A, I remember when it came out. It was yeah. a very big. It was a very big deal when it came out. Yeah. Um, you know, we we weren't getting a lot of the, you know, musician biopics mm-hmm. back then. I mean, Ray kind of op- blew the door right off of that. Oh and yeah. Everybody jumped on that bandwagon, but but the Great Balls of Fire was a big deal. I mean, I guess that was. I, I say it wasn't. I mean, Lombamba. Uh, what was it? Lombamba. Yeah. Lombamba. Well, yeah, they would. It's not that like they didn't happen, but they weren't as frequent as we're seeing now. Yeah. Or we did see for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so Johnny Depp was, uh, you know, he had done a number of films, but they were smaller roles. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, which we covered, and Platoon. He's got a very, he's there, like you see him in it, but I, I don't think he's only got a couple of lines in the movie. Right. Um, so yeah. And then Crybaby with, uh, John Waters Crybaby, uh, was, um, you know, I think a big, a big hit for him on the like indie film level, which, and got him some street cred, but otherwise it was, yeah, it was his modeling and his, uh, TV career with 21 jump street that where he was really a big star there. Yeah. Well, I'm Um, sure, I'm sure, you know, I mean, there were a number of people that the studio had, tried to get Tim Burton to look at for this role, but Tim Burton had always wanted Johnny Depp to play the character as far as I, as far as I know. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that goes back to the fact that Johnny Depp, although he hadn't been in much, wasn't Crybaby. It was a John Waters movie, you know, and that's definitely going to be more in Tim Burton's wheelhouse than, than, than 21 Jump Street is. Right. And so, um, yeah, you know, I don't think I, he even had seen Jump Street at no, all. No, but but Crybaby's obviously what drew Tim Burton to Johnny Depp for this for for potentially ca- casting him in this this character. So or this role. But yeah, I mean the studio wanted. I mean they were they were looking. There's at, a lot of names. Yeah, Tom Cruise was a big one. Yeah, let's Tom Cruise. I mean, okay, so this is what this is what would have been '89. You know when this is being cast and shot mm-hmm. and. What's Tom Cruise coming off of? This is pre Days of Thunder. This is so. This is after Rain Man, really. Oh, yeah, you're not getting what a strange, <laughs> what a strange jump from Rain Man to to Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, I mean, obviously, and, like it didn't happen. Like, I can't. I I I struggle to picture it. You know, like I'm seeing him in Interview with the Vampire. Um, but I'm not seeing Edward Scissorhands. No, I mean, it's, uh, you know, executives sometimes, you yeah. know, they look, you know, I mean, obviously Tom Cruise is a big thing. Even after Rain Man, that was a huge success. Oh, yeah. yeah. Award nominations. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it was a big deal. Like, and well, and then, so. And then there was Cocktail. So it was, it was like Rain Man, Cocktail, Edward Scissorhands, Days of Thunder. <laughs> like, hmm. Yeah. Something doesn't fit, but. Uh, yeah. But I get he's a big name, right? Like he's a yeah. big, he's a household name. Right. Johnny Depp is like a TV guy. Again, right. popular TV show, but he's a TV guy. Yeah. Uh, and then. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. 
you know, so then, then, I mean, on top of that, the, you know, Cruz was one of them. Tom Hanks is another one. Yeah. Gary Oldman's another one. Yep. Wow. Gary Oldman yeah. could have pulled it off. He probably had the chops to pull it off, but he didn't understand the script at all. He was like, yeah, I, don't, I, I don't get it. What's going on? Gary Oldman seems, he probably was the right age, but he seems older to me. Like he yeah. always, he never looked young. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, like, sit, well, it's in the at, name. At the yeah, time, exactly. <laughs> there you at go. The t- at the time, what had he done? Like Sid and Nancy was obviously like a yeah, state state of grace. I think was right around this time. Um, yeah, he was definitely around. Uh, yeah. Dracula, I think, boosted him up. You know, Coppola's sure. Dracula boosted him up to that next level. But uh, yeah, that would have been interesting. And there's there's other names like John Cusack and Jim yeah. Carrey. I don't know, like. I ooh, the, the interesting choices. I, I maybe Cusack could have worked. I don't know. I think maybe Carrie could have worked. It would have been a different because well, I mean, it, look at it. Like there, there's you know, this character has very few lines. It's all facial expression. I mean, back back in Carrie's younger days, like you know, he hit his stride being a guy who could do a whole bunch of different facial expressions and characters. Mm-hmm. You know. I don't know that he showed that he had the dramatic chops until much later in his career, but he definitely would be able to pull off not needing to use words to portray, to, to build the character. Right. Like, yeah, I can, I could see it working, but I mean, at that time, what was trying to remember? I mean, I guess. Well, in living color had, I think just started airing. I was going to say, yeah. And he had done a few movies. Jim Carrey had done a few movies, but Carrey would, you know, as far as the physical ability to play this character would have been a a better match than a Cusack. Sure. Um, I think Cusack could have done it emotionally, but I, 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 again, I don't like see him in those kind of visuals. Yeah. I think Cusack would have wanted to like vocalize a bunch of stuff. I mean, yeah. think about think about his characters, right? Like, Better Off Dead and Oh yeah, Crazy Summer. Like, yeah. it's all like you know, like his thing is the, kind of this neurotic, like, you know, he he like has to talk through his thought processes, you know. And so, I mean, which was is great. Like, I love Cusack. Like, some of those movies are. Can, can you picture great. like Cusack as his character and say anything, like? As at doing Edward Scissorhands, <laughs> like it's a weird, it's a weird, it's a weird stretch. Yeah. <laughs> um, Robert Downey Jr. was another one that was up for this. I can see that. Yeah. What do you I think, feel- David? Do you think he could? You think Downey would have been able to handle this one? Yeah. This is yeah. This is this would have been nice. I would. I think he would have been. I think he would have been good. Like, I don't know. There's a there's a subtlety to everything he does. Um, and it would have been a nice uh, reunion with my um, Anthony Michael Hall, of course. Uh, from yeah, Weird Science. Yeah. So I mean, I think that. Uh, and what Johnny B. Good? Are they in that movie together too? Oh, is Downey in that? I don't know. I think maybe. Well, Anthony Michael Hall definitely is. Yeah, yeah he's the star. Yeah. But yeah. No, I, 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 young, young Downey had the had the chops. I don't know. I think that coming off Saturday Night Live and Weird Science together, like that'd be fun to see them <laughs> see i feel like there the was downies. a run there was a run of movies that it was like 
Johnny Depp and Robert Downey Jr. were in the running for. I mean, there was Chaplin, obviously, right? right? Because Johnny Depp really wanted to play Charlie Chaplin and, and Downey got it. And that's why, that's why Depp ended up doing Benny and June so that he could do the whole Buster Keaton thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it was, yeah. there was a, yeah, a little back and forth there, which I'm sure happened a ton back in the day with, with a bunch of actors, but. Yeah, all these guys we're talking about are all like, you know, skinny, white, dark-haired dudes. <laughs> like yeah. to play. They're all like... There's a thing. They're all good-looking, you know, just... Uh, they're all the same type. So yeah. they're all competing. <laughs> yeah, Downey was in, in Johnny B. Good, by the way. I just okay. had, to, I had to verify that with my staff. He yeah. was? He was in it. He was, yeah. So they did... So they did Weird Science, they did Johnny B. Good, and they were on Saturday Night Live together. So it would have fit. It would have fit to have him in here. I I think he could have done it. I think he could have played. I definitely think he could have played this character. Oh, yeah. I think think you would have had a hit with that. Yeah. Um, I would would like to see the alternate universe uh, versions with Cusack uh, and Downey and Jim Carrey. I want to see those three movies. Yeah. so yeah, it'd be, it, it'd be cool to see their t- their take on the character for sure. Mm-hmm. I agree with yeah. you 100. I'd like those. Yeah, I do think. And looking at it now, I think Downey would have been the one to really make that work better than the others. That's my my guess. But yeah, yeah. Um, but maybe we'll get the sports almanac and uh, time travel to that universe and see what happens. It's so. funny that you reference back to the future because when you're talking about wanting to see alternate versions of things, I thought to myself, I definitely do not want to see the Eric Stoltz version of back to the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was probably a good call. Um, all right. So yeah. Who else is in this movie? Uh, I don't know. Anthony Michael Hall. We just talked about him. Is this yeah, the first? Guy. Is this the first movie where he really like looks like an adult? Like yeah, he leaned out. He got yeah. he got he got big. I don't know what happened between like Saturday Night Live and this, but he got big. Like he like went from six years. Yeah, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> well, almost. No, like four. It was like no. four. Yeah, wow. but he was like a gawky, awkward kid, and then he shows up in this. He he's nailing the whole like douchey jockey asshole boyfriend role in this it's a very different look than what i was it like accustomed to seeing him in and it it, it was interesting to see i don't think i like him in that character as much as yeah I the it, other ones. it was just bizarre to see him like not as you know russ from national lampoon's vacation yeah. Which we covered here and and uh, our, our early days, one of our first episodes. It's like episode two, wasn't it? Like, like... yeah, it was that? It was it was uh, yeah, it was a double episode that aired on our our first. Uh, it was Escape from New York and National Lampoon's Vacation. You can find those both in the archives at www.reconsidimation.com. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, you know, and and of course the John Hughes movies that then suddenly like oh he's grown up and he's a physically bigger and he's taller and thicker and like he works out now and yeah um you know it was it was he never played that that asshole before you know yeah you're always rooting for him and suddenly he's just totally against that mm. yeah it was interesting you know i mean he did a great job but every time he was on screen i was just like why is russell roided out like, what's, <laughs> what's going on 
<laughs> and that moment where he like peer pressures hit well obviously there's a lot of peer pressure going on with his character but um yeah not only to like like setting edward up and and robbing his own family's house but mm-hmm. then where he just that other moment where he peer pressures his friend to like go drunk driving <laughs> yeah it was like whoa that's uh not, by the not way okay. if any if anybody can get me a connection on that van let me know <laughs> you want the flames <laughs> that van that? is so throwback rad it's it's <laughs> awesome i'd probably rob my family for that van well you know christmas is coming up so if you're if you're nice maybe you'll be on the list for santa this year oh yeah that's that's <laughs> definitely stockings full of coal play play your cards right you got a few more days come on now good point <laughs> um yeah, just and I apparently Crispin Glover was up for this role as well. Really? Yeah, as the boyfriend. Yeah, as uh, Jim. <laughs> really? Yeah, which as the boy as the boyfriend, not not Edward, but the boyfriend as I, okay. Jim. Yeah. Wow, that's weird. Okay, he could I play mean, Edward. He could definitely play Edward. He would have been for great sure. Edward. He would yeah. have been a great Edward. Yeah, he's a natural Edward. He is Edward yeah. without the hands. <laughs> yeah. Um. But I don't know, you know, as Jim, I could see him, you know, especially some of the things we've seen him in in his later career, I could see him doing that role. I don't know if it would have worked as well because he's just so strange um, and quirky that that might have been distracting for that character. Because basically that character is a bully, is, is your sort of yeah. standard high school jock bully uh, character. And... I don't think you needed it to be anything more than that. And Glover would have brought probably an additional layer there that would, would have distracted, I think from, from Edward. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That would be interesting. I, I I don't think he works as Jim at all, but I, but I want to throw him on the list of people I want to see play Edward. Alternate universe. Yeah. 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 Alternate, alternate Edward. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Alan Arkin's in this movie too. Yeah, Alan Arkin is uh, great. He doesn't really have that much screen time, and I, I frankly forgot that he was even in this movie. <laughs> Me yeah. too. But he was it, a nice surprise. I forgot completely, but then when he showed up, I was like, "Oh, oh, perfect. He's so good." Yeah, he's really delightful. The character's so he's you know he's a little like just uh, a little flighty or whatever, but he you know he. He just kind of goes with the flow and and is supportive of Edward and just he's not paying attention to anything like yeah you know yeah. but then it I don't know he's got a nice charm to him I mean it's Alan Arkin so I mean he just has a lot of fun with it I, I like I like him a lot in this I mean yeah. I just oh go ahead Dan. no you go, go ahead, ahead John well I was just gonna say I'm just kind of in agreement like I, I he plays kind of that perfect dad role you know he's at that first dinner and he's like hey Ed so the view up at the house must be great. You know I mean? It's just like, so matter of fact, he's not, he's not shaken at all by the fact that his wife just brought this strange dude into their house who has scissors for hands. He's just shooting the shit, Mm -hmm. you know, just like, Hey, yeah. I I found it great. He's a little bit oblivious or just maybe doesn't want to see, you know, it's like he's got his head in the sand and he's okay leaving it there. <laughs> you know, he doesn't, uh, there's other, you know, he just doesn't see what's going on. I mean, he's on the roof when they're having that fight down below, like right below him. 
And he definitely would have heard all of that and what was being said. And then you just see him like, like stand up on the roof from, you know, attaching the snow. And he's like, Oh, Edward, where are you going? As he runs away, like heartbroken, like, you know, you, you could have been involved in that, but uh, chose not to. Yeah, well, and like, you know, the entire neighborhood is, you know, you don't meet, you don't, you briefly meet some of the husbands uh, of all the all women that live in the, in the, you know, the development or whatever. And um, so you're getting one view of just like one of those husbands who goes to work every day. I mean, he's at the dinner table and he's still wearing his badge from work. You know, it's, he's just one of those guys, he's just doing his job and he's got the house and, you know, whatever he goes with the flow. Like he's just. But he's got, you know, they've got the, he's got the bar in the basement, you know, that's where he, he goes to have his little whiskey and all that, you know, and it's just, a, it's his little, a little place of seclusion you, you feel like he gets, even though like the basement's still, you know, I think it's a, line, a laundry room and it's just, it doesn't really look like anything. And it's, mm. but that's probably what all the men that all drive home from work at the exact same time, um, you know, he's just one of those guys, you know, like inconsequential and like, and not really like, I don't know. Uh, they're not really th- a threat or a, yeah, they're just, they're just, they're just there, you know, going through the paces. Right? Yeah. They go through the I paces. Mean, like they're, he's out back snipping the, the hedges, listening to, listening to the baseball game, but not yeah. really paying attention. You know I mean? Yeah. It's just going through the paces. Yeah. It's uh and so, but like for, for Arkin to be that guy, like, he brings so much just charm and his himself to it that it's yeah, he's, so, he's so great. It's such a it's a well written character and he does it so well. He described his character as a guy who likes to barbecue. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. perfect. That's I can see that. that's, <laughs> that's all he wants to do is just do his thing and and get yeah. by. You know exactly. Yeah, he's counting the years to retirement. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know what it is. They reach a certain age. They develop these gland things. Their bodies swell up. They go crazy. Um, Kathy Baker, uh, great performance here as, as sort mm-hmm. of the you know sexually ab- aggressive uh, <laughs> neighborhood yeah. lady. Um, she was in. So I haven't seen a lot of her work, and this is right before. I mean, I knew her growing up as as the like wife on Tom Skerritt's wife on pick offenses. Right. Same. That was where, where I knew her as. So, um, you know, I didn't re- remember that she was in this, but there's another movie, uh, called street smart that I definitely want to cover next year in yeah. 2021. Um, great movie where with Christopher Reeve and a very early Morgan Freeman, um, about uh, a reporter who gets involved with a uh, prostitution um, situation and, um, you know, covering that uh, as a story. And, and she's one of the prostitutes that he's uh, following and, and writing a story up on, but she's amazing in that movie. And, and this was like, and she was doing a lot of serious heavy roles like that. And this was her chance to, get into more of the lighter side and a comedy with a big director. So um, this is a great opportunity for her and she's great in it. She totally nails the character. She's so over the top and just like kind of housewife swarmy and just, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
but she's perfect. She, when they come to the front door and she's, she, she convinces, you know, Peg and to have the barbecue and just no option. Like you're going to have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no way out of it. You're going to introduce us to this strange fella you have. Yeah. Well, like when we're first introduced to her where she, she's invited a repairman over to fix, to fix the dishwasher so she could seduce him. Like, yeah. like, yeah. like, like, <laughs> and <he's, laughs> like we get a sense of who she is right away. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. it, it maintains. So, yeah. I know it's funny. Cause I always thought because of, she was on picket fences with Tom Skerritt. I, because I haven't seen it in so long, I always thought she was in Poltergeist three, <laughs> but that, oh, really? that's just, yeah. it's just Tom Skerritt. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's She's Tom Skerritt and Nancy Allen in that one. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But uh, well, and what a great way to introduce all the housewives, right? Like you bringing up her her opening scene just reminded me of this. But, but to have Peg be an Avon lady and you get to meet all the different housewives in the neighborhood. You know, they all have their own personality. They have they all have their own little interaction with her. But it's a great way to really establish that ensemble because they do play such a kind of a key part throughout the entire, entire oh, yeah. thing. It's a, it's a really, really smart and clever way to, to introduce all of them. Oh yeah. Um, I, I really like that opening. Well, um, it's funny. Like when she, yeah, the first house she goes to Peg goes to is, is Conchata Farrell's Fer- Fer- uh, house. So she plays Helen and she does the spiel and you don't know that they know each other until they <laughs> reveal it <laughs> at the end. Like, like, she goes through the sales pitch and there's like, you know, I don't buy anything from you. Yeah. All right. I see know. a peg. Like, boom, like and <laughs> yeah. it's hysterical. It's a great like opening moment. Yeah. That. I love that. And we keep, you know, seeing the reaction from the housewives, you know, all throughout the movie, you, you that, that phone chain, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we keep seeing kind of their, their take on things. Well, but their lives Kathy, are so boring. Like it's established yeah. so early that this this plainness, just that they don't even have a good look on Edward being in the car, and that's the biggest scoop and gossip and news item for hours. They all go out yeah. to the street corner to talk until the husbands come home. Yeah, I mean, it's like it is wild. Like it's so, it wasn't like it's scandalous, but it's like who is she bringing home? Who's this guy? What's going on? Like who's coming uh, to their house? Like they're just telling stories and theorizing, you know, just gossiping. And there's something like so gross about that. when you really think about like just all that energy being spent on, on something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And Kathy Baker's character too. I mean, she, you know, her whole arc is that, um, you know, that sexual sort of aggression. And, you know, when we see her basically assault, uh, uh edward you know that's kind of the the turning point that is the turning point of the movie where she she motivates the whole rest of the town to start turning on him and then that's compounded with other you know the rot the robbery and everything else after that but um then we really don't see much of her i mean we see her she's there in like the crowd with with the other with everybody but but that's kind of the end of her character and that's the end of her arc well, right. But I mean, the, the, like the die has been cast, right? Like mm-hmm. how the, you know, I mean, it was, it was all positive and he was, he was the greatest shiny thing that, that had come along and forever and everybody's getting their hair cut and he's doing all the topiaries and the dogs are getting their hair cut. They're going to, they're going to make a, a salon for him. And then, and then she turns on him and that's when, you know, all the, 
bad starts to happen. And that whole, you know, the whole part of that storyline, you know, she's not necessary to, to it, but it's, it's her that basically cast the die that, that set it down this, this road that makes him the, you know, monster that has to go seek shelter back in his castle at the end, away from the mm-hmm. pitchforks and, and yeah. torches. I think it just would have been nice. You know, some of these characters are just, they're one note and it would have been nice to see something, another side, another shade to her character that, that it wasn't just like all about this. Right. And same thing with Anthony Michael Hall too. It's like, Oh, you're just an asshole. Um, mm-hmm. but there's gotta be like more to that. There's gotta be something that put in there. Not that we need any, any of these characters life stories or anything, but I think there could have been a layer added to just humanize these people a little more instead of caricatures. Right. But I think if you added them all together, you get one, one character that, that is that he just split all the traits up into different characters to, to, uh, you know, yeah. diversify a little bit. Yeah, I see that. Um, and then one other one other actor who such had such a huge impact on on Burton is uh, is Vincent Price, and this is his final performance of what hundreds. Hello, I'm Vincent Price. I'm here to introduce a new chilling series of classic ghost stories. That is a a horror legend, a a Roger Corman legend. Um, he was just in so many, so many movies for, for such a long run, such a huge yeah. career. Um, and it's a bummer because he really, uh, from what I know of him, you know, his, he really ended like not on the best financial terms. You know, I, I really remember growing up and just hearing all about Thriller, which, you know, his vocal portion of that song is such a huge part of it. And how he got nothing for it. Like, it was just robbed. Um, and then, you know, right at the very end, he creates this relationship with uh, with Tim Burton that I think you see reflected in Ed Wood between Ed Wood and Bela Lugosi, although that was real as well. But I think that mirrored sort of the Burton and Vincent Price relationship. And, and you get that here. You get one final uh, performance. Yeah. It was so good to see him in this. I mean, you know, you were, like you were saying, he was such a big icon and he had been in so many movies. I had forgotten he was in this. And so when he showed up, I mean, it was uh, re-watching it. I was, I was really happy to see him. I, growing up, I mean, I, every Halloween, there would be a marathon of just the, the different horror movies he had done. He was a huge, huge horror icon uh, in the eighties. And, and yeah, this is a great role for him to be in. And it was awesome to see him. And it makes me want to go back and rewatch a ton of his other movies. Cause he was just so iconic. And I had, you know, I mean, he's been so out of the public consciousness now for, for a while that, you know, I, I uh, it was really a pleasant surprise. Yeah, um, David, I'm guessing you've not seen very many Vincent Price films. I haven't, unfortunately, no. All right, we'll, I'm aware of him. We'll, we'll, we'll come up with a list for you because yeah. there's, there's, I mean, he's done so many and not all of them are great, but he did yeah. uh, quite a number that are 
pretty fantastic. And he's just such a, like another like character, you know, he's like his, his voice and his way of speaking and was, was just really captivating. And he wasn't always the villain either. Um, It was just a great, great actor that was, uh, I think underappreciated and probably still underappreciated. Yeah, sure. But I mean, his stuff goes back to the fifties, right? I mean, Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, very cool. Yeah. Uh, but a legendary career and is kind of, you know, capped off with this. And, and I think this is a good final performance. And, and I think Burton wanted to do more with the character too. And just, you know, he was physically limited at this point and, and not in the best of health. So yeah, he which, was sick. During yeah. The, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he died, uh, what, 90, 91? Like, not too long after this came out. Uh, he died in 93. But 93, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, So there was an intention to give us a little more with the inventor? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, he just, I don't think he was up for, you know, physically for doing it. Yeah, I get it. I th- Like, yeah, I think it's funny because, like, there's there's these pieces that sort of miss, that are feel like they're missing but it keeps it like it keeps it at that fairy tale level of like there's only certain details that are revealed but you know yeah like the relationship between the two of them i think would have made yeah just a little bit more even just one or two more scenes you'd get a real good sense of like how how this guy who created all these things and these machines to make his life easier and then he realized like uh you know could he create life you know put heart in these machines that he was making to look like people as personification and then like you know to complete him and i i love i yeah i would have loved to have seen more about that oh man but uh yeah but do yeah again vincent price just to be in it i mean uh, they, it was that was that was great um yeah i'm yeah i, I do want to see his old stuff i don't think i'd be scared by it no no, no 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 you would just of course um not that i not that, not that it, that's why i avoid horror movies but you know i'm sure stylistically they move they're very interesting yeah they are yeah um but his care as much as i i liked his performance here there's a this is where so some of what bumps me in this movie is there's a lot of and maybe it's because it's a fairy tale, but there's a lot of logic gaps. Like we never really find out how did the inventor make Edward Scissorhands. And that for some reason I locked into that. And that just bothered me that like, well, how does he, how did he do that? Like what a little, a little bit of detail here. I think, I think that right there, what you're talking about is something that is, more necessary for films these days than it was back in the 90s. Sure. Back in the 90s, films were given a lot more leeway with suspension of disbelief and letting you just connect the dots and be imaginative and just go with it. Yeah. And I feel like movies do today. I think audiences today do expect a logic and things to be, unless unless specifically otherwise set up, want there to be a way to connect the dots. And and I don't, I think, I think you got away with a lot less explanation back then. Absolutely. Yeah. Along for the ride. Yeah. But still like, (laughs) but too much, but what I'm saying is, (laughs) no, I I agree. I want to know. This is definitely a product of the the eighties and nineties for sure. Um, You're a hundred percent correct. 
But yeah, like I, I, I kept coming back to it. I couldn't I couldn't like watching it this time, I couldn't uh you know let go of that. Like and why did he not put hands on him? Why did he not put why did he make the rest of him and he could put feet on him but not hands? Best was, not to ask why. And then again, if you couldn't put hands on, why would you put scissor hands on? You know? Right. What was the thought Listen, behind why would you ever put scissors as someone's hand? Anybody who has studied in great detail the intricacies of transplant surgery knows <laughs> that you have to take these things one step at a time. You yeah. can't just put all the new parts on somebody all at once. The body will reject it. Yeah, I guess you're right. That's my explanation because I yeah. come from a very well-respected background in medical training. Yeah, yeah. Well, you saw from his um, his conveyor belt, like he he sees the the machines that he created. They they have appendages that do different jobs. So they're they're mixing they're they're the the arms are mixing uh, whisks, and there's there are legs that are moving the conveyor belt, and then there are feet that are cookie cutters. So it's it's like I I would think that if you're if you expand on like from his design point designing like he's designing machines and now he's designing a machine that's a man so he kind of had to like go back from like function like weird functionality then to you know a hand is very useful but it's not a it's not a tool it, it, the hand uses tools so he was kind of like he's kind of you know changing his design in reverse to create a man like finally the last piece would be well he's got a he can walk around and he can do the shrubs or he could do this whatever whatever edward was doing with his scissor hands and then it was like well now he's going to make him a complete person he doesn't need to be a machine he I mean, just likes is, salad and yeah yeah <laughs> so i mean not that that not that any of that's obvious in the movie but it, like if you I think if like I think it makes sense in the fact that like watching his designs where like he was putting faces basically on all his machines and that personification was there it's sort of like now he's like well how do I transform these machines into a man and like that's like the last piece because that's what I noticed immediately it was like all these appendages were had function mm -hmm. um in the machines so that's that was sort of the how he's created yeah like that's why i like i'm glad i don't know i like the idea yeah. that it's just a fairy tale like better not to know there's a and crazy there's an inventor up in a spooky old mansion and he can he created the this this man with scissor hands um it's funny it's weird though because you know when i'm a writer's character is telling the story to his to her grandchild and like we get but we get flashbacks from edward's point of view yeah and i don't know if it's like maybe <laughs> there maybe it's implied that in their relationship he told him he told her those stories because time goes on i mean i would say that like four or five months happened in the movie i mean i can't tell uh you know until we get to christmas you know before christmas yeah. i feel like i don't know at least a few long. months well yeah but, i guess it's gotta be something yeah at least a few months for sure i feel like yeah i don't know maybe maybe i'm wrong um, yeah. Anyway, so I feel like there's a relationship there, just because like he's, he's, you know, they're they're all happy with him for so long, and then and then it just turns. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's just for me, it's it's hard to look back on it and not want those sure. spe- a little bit more on those specifics. So, uh, you know, for me, we'll, we'll we'll get to our ratings later on. But uh, that's, uh, you know, that was a big hold, <laughs> something that held me back this time. Maybe when they make the prequel with Anson Elgort, is that a that's yeah. an actor, right? Yes. Yeah. So we'll we'll get our answers with that. Yeah, definitely prequel. This was always meant to be part of a trilogy. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we'll get the series. And then you get Edward Scissorhands 2099. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. it's him in the future. You guys. You guys. <laughs> what? I can't wait. <laughs> um, and maybe Scarlett Johansson as uh, Winona Ryder's character. Ooh, Scar- as Kim. ScarJo. I like a ScarJo. ScarJo. Uh, let's see. So, uh, let's go back to just some technical stuff, but, uh, Stan Winston did the design for the scissor, the, you know, the, the scissor hands and, and the, the mechanics of that. He, he got nominated for an Oscar for this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Amazing. Stan Winston was like the man for so long. And I forget that like he passed away at really such a young age too. It's really, really unfortunate. He just did. Yeah so many amazing uh, physical, you know, mechanical effects and costumes and designs. It's, he was really a genius. Danny Elfman did the score, which I think is absolutely beautiful. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the music in this, um, I felt like in the first half of the movie, the music was actually fairly light. You know, there was, there was a number of scenes that had no score at all. Yeah. Uh, but in the second half, it's like, boom, then it's kind of running almost constantly. Yeah. Well, the movie in the second half just gets, uh, it's also dark. Like mm-hmm. the, the score is dark. The, I mean, I was watching it last night and, you know, my son came in and started watching it. And at a certain point I was like, oh, is, can I? Like, I was yeah. like, oh, I can't wait for the kids to just be like around while I'm watching this. Maybe they'll get interested and want to see it. And then it got towards the back end, and I was like, "Hold on a second, this is a little too intense." Yeah. Then Michael Hall's cussing a whole bunch. There's a bunch of fighting, people getting hurt. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe I'm a bad parent. Well, it gets yeah, it gets dark pretty quick, but um, yeah, it takes I, a turn. I, I I really do love, I love a lot of Danny Elfman's scores, and especially his Tim Burton stuff, and he just. Really nailed, you know, the, the scene where, you know, they he's carving the ice sculpture and Winona Ryder's dancing just below, I and mean, that, that's a big moment in the film. And but that yeah. that's that piece of music is just so, um, it really is beautiful. And this is this is their fourth of eighteen collaborations between uh, Burton and, yeah. So he's wow. done. He's done almost every Tim Burton project. I think only like one or two were, I'm sure was an availability thing. But uh, Elfman is such an important piece of the Tim Burton puzzle uh, for really setting the tone of what, uh, of his style. Yeah. It's a good collaboration right there. I like, yeah, I really love hearing Danny Elfman's stuff and just uh, it, this was like, it's very cozy to hear this score because I I haven't sat down and watched this movie in a long time, but 
it feels like so much of the Beetlejuice Batman, you know, mm-hmm. and all the, all those yeah. other ones just in the, of that era. Um, I mean, it's, you know, you know, a Danny Elfman score, um, you know, pretty, pretty easily, but um, this feels very cozy to, to get back into it. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, you know, one, like one note of a Danny Elfman score, just like, you know, one frame of a Tim Burton movie. So yeah. again, these are like major artists and, and, and I do, whether, whether you, you like all of uh, Tim Burton's films or not, I appreciate that he's a director that has his own visual style. Um, I can always uh, respect that you know, again, like you, you turn on their movie for one second and you can see like, Oh, this is, this is a Kubrick movie. This is a uh, Tim Burton movie. This is a Lynch movie. Um, right. There's so many directors now who just don't have that, that just a very bland generic style or it looks good, but there's no like character to it. Um, and uh, that's something that's Tim Burton will always have that. That is true. But like I said earlier, I think sometimes they run into that pitfall of kind Too of much. becoming a prisoner of their own devices. Yeah. I think it's the same. I mean, like Wes Anderson, I feel is the same way. Oh like, yeah. I, yeah. I really like Wes Anderson, but at the same time, like his aesthetic and his, his look, like sometimes I feel like become too big a character in the movie and it, it detracts from it. But yeah, anyway. I, it can be distracting for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be that balance, like we were talking about earlier, you know, and, and some of his films have it. And of course, this is all uh, subjective, but, um, you know, some of his films have that perfect balance and some don't yeah. and too much visual or, or not enough. But uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, all right, looking at it now, do you feel like this movie is too over the top? like in performance in sending the message of the, you know, the themes of the film, the visuals of it. Do you feel like it's too much too in too like on the nose? Uh, no, I, I, uh, I feel like it's, 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 it really, it's brimming to the top. <laughs> it brims. But I don't think it's it's too much because I think uh, I don't know be, the banality and and grotesqueness of suburbia mixed with you know the the gothic nature of the of you know where Edward comes from and and the the and really again the what what's underneath both of those and how there's 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 you know in there are bright spots in suburbia there's that joy and empathy you know the, the kindness of that family toward Edward. I mean, that was so genuine and, and nice, but even then, you know, they, that they didn't turn on him, but they, they still like, you know, they still had reason to be afraid of him. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, and the kindness of, of Edward, who's this machine who lives alone and, and away from society and, you know, uh, and then feeling betrayed by these people that, you know, they loved him for his mystique and his, how different he was and how useful he was to them. Um, he brought excitement to their lives. And then I, I feel like you need, you need those aesthetics to really push it all home because there's not too much character going on outside our main cast, you know? Mm-hmm. So you need that visual flair to um, really sell it, uh, to, to show that sameness and cohesiveness among like who lives in this town. 
So for me, I think it all, I think it, it's, it's, it's a well-balanced film, mm-hmm. like a, like a well-balanced breakfast, but movie specifically. So is this the, the Wheaties of uh, Tim Burton movies for you? Well, it's the Wheaties and the toast and the juice and a mm-hmm. glass of milk and a, um, you know, a, and, and, and a side of bacon. The whole package. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some, and some strawberries. <laughs> It's the it's grand the, slam. It's the grand slam of, of Tim Burton. But that's that's how I come in. So I, I enjoyed this a lot. I enjoyed experiencing all those visuals um, and not feeling it was t- like too stylistic for its own. It, it's very stylistic, but it's not like too much for its own good. I, mm-hmm. I, yeah. It's a very contained world. Um, and then it's a, and it's a world that takes place in the 80s. They, they mentioned CD players and VCRs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean... It no, has that, that 50s, 60s, you know, early 60s tone, but nope, it's definitely set in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. So but I don't think it matters when it's set, but the fact that they made a point to tell you, like, this is a modern story, that there's still, like, no matter what, like, the, the, the aesthetics of suburbia have changed, but the people have not, I think is his point, you know, mm-hmm. like, the people trapped in sort of a, 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 a life that is very same and very, like, uninteresting um is what he he's sort of trying to trying to speak to those people that don't identify with that so. mm-hmm. but yeah what do you think brent too much no i don't think so not for me i mean i i uh i agree with you david like i think that it's a good balance between um you know tim burton style and and kind of grounding it in in the story without getting it getting over uh, too heavy handed. I, yeah. I, I like, uh, you know, I mean, we talked about it earlier, but I, I like this movie quite a bit. I think that it is still relatable. I think a lot of the movies that we see today, I think they are, um, again, pr- like on the nose, you know, like uh, this, this, I feel like this movie has the opportunity to r- relate to several different people on a, uh, or several different types of people on, a, on multiple different levels for different reasons. Um, and, you know, like I, I don't think it's too heavy handed or anything in the, in this movie. I think the, you know, the theme of isolation and feeling awkward, like is apparent and it runs through it and it's, you know, like, that's fine. Like that's still something that, people today deal with, you know, I mean, it's still Mm -hmm. a very big topic, especially now with, you know, like social media and bullying for, you know, like social uh, digital bullying on social media platforms and things like that. Like there's still like this, this, um, you know, it's like exemplified now, you know, everything's Mm -hmm. like switched up to 11 this is, I think, a little tamer because, you know, back in the 90s, early 90s, when this happened, like, you know, like life was a little simpler. And, and you know, I, I think it still works. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't say it's heavy handed in any way. I, I, I'd say it's pretty tame and mild in comparison to the type of movies that we're getting today that address the same issues. Yeah, interesting. I I'm not totally of the same opinion as you guys. Like I mm-hmm. to me it 
like I felt like it was just getting shoved down my throat, you know, not really? like not as bad as a lot of movies, but I, I felt like it was in that area for me that it was just like, okay, I get it, you know, um, but I'm, I'm fully aware I'm in the vast minority <laughs> of the not uh, huge love for Edward Scissorhands, but um, mm-hmm. but I see your guys' point. So you know, uh, let's talk about let's talk some bo. Let's talk some box office. Okay. Let's see how this movie did. Uh, okay, so it comes out Dece- limited release December seventh, nineteen ninety. It goes wide on on December fourteenth. Um, perfect time to release this movie with the Christmas themes in it and Christmas setting. It was really smart to do that. It, it's always weird to me when Christmas movies come out in July or the spring or something like um, Die Hard made it work. Yes, that's a Christmas movie. <sighs> um, <laughs> we'll debate that next episode. Okay, David. Mm-hmm. Again. <laughs> Again. Again. Our annual debate. So this movie had a $20 million budget. Um, it opens up, let's see. It opens up right behind Home Alone in week five. So, uh, and right ahead of Look Who's Talking To and uh, Dances with Wolves in week six. So, you know, it's right near the top. It's not number one, but Home Alone. I mean, that's that was a, yeah, a that... juggernaut. So. <laughs> Did this ever take the number one spot? I don't know. It, it may have taken it uh, a few weeks down the road. It had a $6.3 million opening. I'm sorry. It actually, it opened up number three, not number two. So uh, it was, it was still behind. Look who's talking to. Apparently that was a juggernaut also. It was actually, it was a juggernaut. <laughs> it was a big movie. It yeah. was a big movie. It was a big deal. Um, it ended Who knows up, why, but it was. Yeah. It uh, ended up with uh, almost 54 million that year, so that's a big, big profit for uh, for Fox. So uh, this was a this was a hit. It was number 20 overall of 1990, uh, landing between Misery and Problem Child. So, boy, 1990s got some looking back at it surprise uh, movies that were I, I did not remember them being that big. Problem Child ended up being a franchise. There were like four, yeah, four yeah. Or five. Yeah, and whatever yeah. happened to that kid? I don't know, but John Ritter was in the first one. That guy was he only in the first one? I think he was only in the first one, but I, yeah. to be honest, I probably only saw the first. No, one. No, so. I think I'm sure he did the second one. I, I thought he was in at least three of them, but I I'd have to look that up. Um, That's another guy I miss a lot, John Ritter. Oh yeah, man. You know, a movie we should cover here is uh, Real Men. Did you ever see that? I love real men. Yeah. John Ritter, Jim Belushi. Come on. That's some good shit right there. (laughs) That's good. I like it when David says, I like real men. I like (laughs) real men. (laughs) And didn't, wasn't um, after John Ritter passed away, didn't Belushi replace him on that show? Uh, Oh. The sitcom. I think he might have. Yeah. Yeah. Top 10 rules for dating my daughter or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did I'm he, pretty sure was he it did. Belushi. I, I think that I might think be it right. Was. Yeah. Let's look it up. Oh, let's let's look it up live on the show because this is good. Ten, ten <laughs> good. Rules for eight simple eight simple rules. That's what it eight was simple called. rules. Sorry. Not ten. There's not ten rules. There's no there's, only there's no ten rules. 
Yeah. There's ten commandments. How could there be ten? Um. Oh no, it's uh, it was James Garner. So I'm there's I'm I'm mixing up world according to Jim, world according to Jim, and eight simple rules. So Mm. anyway, (laughs) uh, that's a sidebar on John Ritter and Jim. Cut that out. (laughs) Oh no, that's staying in. If my if my if my Fred Rogers mess up stayed in, this will stay in. Class. So anyway, yeah, that's uh, Edward Scissorhands ended up doing pretty well. Um, uh, not obviously not the huge hit that Batman was, but I don't think there was ever an expectation for it to be that. I mean, that's it's not a franchise movie. I mean, so. Batman was like, I mean, that was a global phenomenon. You yeah. know, like that's not. I I don't think the expectations were that this movie was going to do as well as Batman. Right, right. right. And then and then, but Burton immediately went back to Batman with uh, Batman Returns. So well, um, yeah, the studio was trying to get him to do Batman Returns before this movie, anyway. Right, right like right. they wanted him to do a Beetlejuice two mm-hmm. or or Batman Returns, and he was like, I want to do something more personal, and so he did this movie. Yeah, so, which you know, kudos to him that he got a hundred percent, you know, creative control over this one. So, yeah. um, you know, he could he could do it. It's great. It's it's great that he did that. Um, overall, what do you? So, what is the film's legacy? So, do we, you know? We talked about, you know, yeah, this is probably still Burton's most personal piece, as far as we know. With with another few of the other ones later on, maybe having, uh, you know, going more into that area like Big Fish potentially. So. Um, but let's let's rank it in the where do you think this ranks in in the Tim Burton uh, list of his films? I Top mean, for, five, you know, like where would yeah. you put it? I mean, of all the Burtons I've seen, I, yeah, I guess I mean, I guess I'd put it top five, but at the bottom of that, I mean, I like I like I, I, entertainment wise, I'm entertained by a few of the others more of his other films. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like, I like the artistry and poetry of this one um, for what it is. It's very specific. So, but um, you know, but if I'm going to like be entertained, like overall, like getting and be engaged a lot, it's going to be some of his other films. So mm-hmm. your Batman's, your Beetlejuice's, your Pee Wee's, mm-hmm. um, even big fish. Um which I really enjoyed. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, but to say, but that is, that is to say like, I really like this movie, um, you know, overall. So, mm-hmm. well, it's okay to like it and not necessarily have it be that high up. I mean, he's got a pretty great body of work, a big, a large body of work. So, yeah. Um, you it's know. large, but are they all, I mean, like we talked about it. Yeah. I, I'm, lo- I'm looking at it and there's only, six movies that he's done that I that I, I personally think are I mean for me that I like right mm-hmm. like the other ones are I mean some of them are entertaining or or you know whatnot but but only six of them that I would say um I think are are really good at least in, in you know Wee's Big Adventure I, I think is great Beetlejuice Batman Edward Scissorhands, Ed Wood, and Big Fish. Like, I don't even like Batman Returns all that much. Yeah, know? we we covered that, uh, <laughs> you know, on a our, our couple of years ago now. And uh, yeah. I, I was not a big fan of that one either. Yeah, I mean, I'd put it as like maybe the 
seventh movie if i had to add extra movies yeah big eyes for me was okay mm-hmm. um miss peregrine's home for peculiar children i really had high hopes for and it was it didn't hit the mark for me but mm-hmm. you know like sweeney todd uh i'm not a fan yeah I, i'm not a fan I, some people love that movie some people love the musical I'm just, I don't know, I think I'm past musicals in my life. Anytime I try to sit down and watch them, any of them, and I, this is going to irk some people, but even Hamilton, I try to watch Hamilton and I just, I can't get into musicals anymore. And I know the music in Hamilton is great. I love the history of it, you know, but mm-hmm. musicals are just not my thing anymore. So, but Edward Scissorhands sits easily in the top five because, mm. you know, there's not many more than five that I would even put in a list so yeah Yeah. um but yeah i i for me it's probably three three or four maybe maybe two three all right that's pretty high up there yeah i'd probably have it this would probably be in my it would be in the top 10 but really towards the bottom of that like probably like there's a few of those is making up your top 10 man (laughs) well i would have the list what is there I would have, not in this order, but just ahead of it, I would have, for me personally, Pee Wee, Beetlejuice, Batman, Ed Wood, Big Fish. Uh, I'd put Mars Attacks ahead of it. I'd probably put Sleepy Hollow ahead of it. Um, so that's what, maybe eight, you know, for Edward Scissorhands? All right. So we see differently on Sleepy Hollow and Mars Attacks for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But we can still be friends. So. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I'm not going to talk to you for at least a week, but I, I was working at a, a movie theater in Santa Fe when Sleepy Hollow was in it. So I saw Sleepy Hollow, the end of Sleepy Hollow so many times. Mm-hmm. So I, many times. I saw Sleepy Hollow in Santa Fe at the theater you worked at with Jared <laughs> and I'm sure you were there and oh, Jeremiah yeah. and the whole gang. Yep. Devargas. I want to go watch it. Again. I want to watch it again now. I I I really liked it. I you know I don't I don't know if it's good, but I re- I remember like enjoying it. I, I, tr- I actually tried to watch it again recently, and I it that's what I'm doing it for you. No, I mean I, I guess I can to be see honest, that. I didn't see it from the beginning. I kind of caught it midway through, and I just it was on, and I was like, okay, let's see, and it just still yeah. I got to give it a shot. Maybe it's garbage. Yeah. It, it'll be it'll that will be an interesting one to cover too. I mean, a, a few more of these Burton movies will be really good to cover for the show. But uh, so I think some people really love Sleepy Hollow. I think, I think they some do. people think that Sleepy Hollow is his best movie. Like really? I've never heard that. What forum I, have you been on that that's been talked about? <laughs> what what I, chat rooms have you been? On? I'm just saying, like you, you do. Uh, I'm old, right? Like Ed's Edward Scissorhands is a movie that at one point in my life, everybody had seen. Everybody had seen it. It was part of pop culture. There were pop culture references to it and other things. There was a drinking game called Edward Forty Hands that was made up. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, it was everywhere, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, not to get un PG, but there was even adult movies made about Edward Scissorhands, right? And so it was, it was everywhere. It, there are people that have not seen Edward Scissorhands. There are people that grew up where the first thing they ever saw of Tim Burton's was Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I mean, you, you ask someone who saw Sleepy Hollow first, 
to go back and watch something like Edward Scissorhands and it's, you're coming from a completely different perspective. Mm-hmm. It blows my mind, but yeah, it's yeah. true. And so I, I, you know, I am not that person. I am not a fan of the Sleepy Hollow, but All certainly right. there are people that, that love it. I, it's not on my list. Well, I think it all depends, you know, when with some of these directors too, like when you see them for the first time, what age you're at, what, where, you know, uh, th- that's where it'll like, you know, David and I were talking about in the Indiana Jones movies and, and how Temple of Doom was like, you know, or the three of us were talking about how yeah. Temple of Doom was our movie. Cause that's the one that we, that we kind of like tuned in on at the right age. Right. And then we caught up on Raiders, but um, so I'm sure there's people that are like that with Burton and, and yeah. Hollow, so. All right, yeah. so um, all right, so we ranked it amongst the Burton films, but let's do our our uh, Jack Burton scale of of zero to thirteen. How much do you love the movie overall, um, David? Let's start with you. What? How many Jack Burtons do you give it? Um, the solid nine. Nine. Is, that's that's almost your standard answer. <laughs> Solid nine. <laughs> it's a good. It's a. That's a good. That's a good solid answer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go like ten, ten point four, ten point five, maybe. Nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm gonna go a bit lower than that. I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it a seven. Mm-hmm. Love the visuals. Low. Too much. Uh, you know. Too much story. Uh, a little too. Too obvious. So. That's that's just me though. Oh, so, yeah. I know. Sorry, going after him. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> or you know, for anybody who is listening who isn't really familiar with Burton, definitely check out. Uh, you know, definitely all of his early films and and uh, you know much of his work later in his career as well. But um, he's an amazing director and and one that should definitely worth studying uh for at certain points so um definitely check some of his other films out and we covered batman returns here it's in our archives at www.reconcinemation.com i'm sure we're going to cover the rest uh sooner rather than later so well guys what uh, i think uh we're about running out of time here it's time oh. to uh we got a little bit of last minute uh holiday shopping we've got uh hanukkah's happening we've got christmas happening it's all all happening here it's uh, all happening yeah so uh, i'm gonna uh i'm gonna uh start heading out to the store whatever stores are open before there's a curfew going on i don't know it's uh the world's a crazy place so but yeah uh, <laughs> We're going to uh, <laughs> wrap things up. Uh, of course, uh, thank you to our friends, Curtis Moore, for the, the poster this week and for uh, E.K. Wimmer for the theme music, like usual. Don't forget to check out his podcast, Laser Graves. Uh, always a fun uh, time on, on his show. And he's even got a Patreon, and, and with you can get bonus shows. Uh, that are with hilarious uh, subjects as well, but he's always looking at bizarre things from the, from the eighties. So uh, check him out and uh, we're going to be back here. What should we say guys? Should we say what our Christmas movie is this year or should we wait just one more week? Tease it. You want to tease it? Uh, I think let's, let's leave them hanging. They're going to find out soon enough. Yeah. 
It's uh, I'll just say it's with one of our most beloved actors on on this show. I'll, I'll, I'll just say that. Did you say so. beloved? <laughs> did I? Maybe I did. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll see. Uh, all right, guys. Well, uh, we're going to wrap it up. We will see you guys next week on Reconsinimation. Take care. Bye now. different water beds, one low price. It's a water bed special purchase from Big Sur Water Beds. For a limited time, $189.99 buys the Amarillo, the Sedona, the New York Four Poster, the Hanover, the White Chantel, the Pine Bluff Daybed, or the Austin. Ask about no payments and no interest till next May. Big Sur Water Beds, Lafayette and Georgetown Road, also 8310 East Washington Street.